Hey listeners, it's Keith from Evertrue. Evertrue is the end-to-end solution for insight, outreach, and analytics for higher ed advancement and stewardship teams around the world. Recently, we launched Evertrue Studios, Advancement's very first media hub, where subscribers have access to over 100 hours of free, on-demand original series and podcasts, all created with fundraisers in mind. Check us out at evertrue.com backslash studios. Hey, listeners, I'm Kim Naoni, and this is Mentorship Matters, a podcast that examines the current and future landscape of fundraising leaders and the power of inclusive mentorship and advancement. Today, it's my honor and privilege to have my friend, LaDaniel Gatling II, Vice President of Advancement and Alumni Relations at Guilford University. Welcome. Hey, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, yes, yes. So today, uh, the subject matter that we're discussing is growing affinity-based scholarships. As you, as you may know, affinity-based scholarships are beneficial to institutions as they provide the means to strategically recruit students from underrepresented populations from a socioeconomic and ethnic background perspective. But such scholarships are not without challenges from state laws and most recently uh, federal laws that govern scholarship criteria. So I'm going to go jump in real right into it. In light of the recent rulings that effectively are going to end affirmative action, how do you see this impacting affinity-based scholarship, if any? Well, yeah, great question. I think uh, the ruling from the Supreme Court really um, it stunned some of us, many of us, I would say, including myself, and and it leaves us with a question of, okay, where do we go from here? Because it seems that um, we're taking on a totally different, um, we're moving to a totally different landscape, one that we've seen decades before. So I think, um, you know, where what, what happens at this point is I have a couple of opinions. One, I think those institutions that are really dialed in on uh, creating a diverse community, campus community, that they will figure out the ways and the tools to continue to be attractive to diverse students. Right. Um, it will be a part of their 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 commitment, their ethos, their messaging that you know, this, the, 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 while there is a law in place or, or things have changed, that this doesn't stop what we were already committed in doing in the first place. So I think, I think uh, many institutions just, will just lean in, dial into it and figure out how to make it work. Um, in other situations, I think uh, I was the re, uh, seeing a statistic from, they, they, they talked about the, 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 the university system out in California and how when they eliminated some of the uh, some of these uh, rules that were in place or these actions these qualifiers that were in place that um, their students of color dropped by 50 percent so I think when you have those type of systems and institutions who are were just doing it to check the box or just doing it to say they were um, 
you know, playing fair in the, sand, in the sandbox, they were, you know, they may not be as enthusiastic about it. And I think that will show over time. And then as a result of that, you will have students of color, particularly in unrepresented, unrepresented communities to it'll be an exodus from those institutions and they'll be looking for those institutions where there's there's more of a belonging and a sense of sense of real true inclusivity and diversity i think you make an important point and that's something that i've been hearing since uh that ruling uh from uh, from, from a number of uh colleagues in california and other places where you know pop 209 in california went into effect years ago and they're still being able to find a way to establish these, uh, uh, you know, scholarships or uh, programs that attract underrepresented students, because that's part of their ethos, part of who they are. And they're not going to abandon that just because uh, of a ruling, you know, they're trying to find a, a silver lining that will allow them to develop solutions, uh, uh, because that's something that they're passionate about. Great. So I really agree. Yeah, so uh, back to the definition, I think it's important for you to understand what we're talking about when we mention affinity-based scholarships. So how do you, how would you define affinity-based uh, scholarships? Yeah, so it's interesting. So affinity-based is wide-ranging because, I mean, really truly it's a collection of individuals who share a common identity characteristic. And that could be several things, anything. I mean, we, in many instances, we 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 look at, those commonalities that make up un, unrepresented populations and, and make people feel isolated. But, you know, when, when you think about when, uh, race or ethnic identity, but it can be as, as wide ranging as the, the, the Frisbee group that was on campus years ago, you know, and, or the biology group that, that, that comes together. So I think it's just when you have a um, group of individuals who, in my opinion, have, have uh, identified themselves and say, hey, we want to be recognized as an entity. And, and as a result of that, we want to be more engaged with our institution, specifically around whatever this particular character identity characteristic is, then, you know, that opens up opportunities and doors where, you know, certain you know, funding and opportunity internships or whatever, maybe relationships continue can be created around that particular subject matter or identity characteristic. Great, great. And as institutions and organizations think about uh, things to consider uh, when they're establishing these funds, uh, what considerations should they take as they look to establish uh, uh, affinity-based scholarships? Well, I think I think when there has to be a seriousness around the 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 individuals who want to come together to try to create this affinity group, and the fact that there's um, I think each each every institution should have a policy around uh, what it actually means to be an affiliated entity of the institution, and what the the give and take is on that. What what the expectation is from the, the organization as well as the or the group as well as the institution. And so, if there are certain benchmarks that the, uh, these groups can meet, 
to satisfy the policies of the institution, then I think, um, and you know, I think we can, you can move forward with it, but it just can't be haphazard. We want to get together just, you know, and say and call ourselves a group and there's no real true definition of meaning or mission behind the purpose of the group. Yeah, and and I think uh, even going back to your to your earlier response, uh, having a purpose and uh, and and the and the mission of why you're trying to to establish a certain uh, you know group and then why you want funding to support that. And again, it doesn't have to be based on race. It could be like you talked about the fencing association. It could be right. the 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 pickleball association of X campus, and we want to have a scholarship to benefit future uh, students who have a passion in the game of, uh, of pickleball. And so we're going to do that. And, yeah. and that's, that, that, that's very critical for folks to, to really understand, just like we talk about with scholarships in general, you know, you have to have a very specific purpose, but also set it up in a way that is going to be broad enough to attract a broad spectrum of students and not, not too restrictive to where, I'm sure you've seen those funds that have been around for 30 years and have made two awards because right. somebody wanted a a kid from the school in Miami, uh, right. uh, Arizona, which has 300 people and never sends kids to University X. And right. so say, well, maybe we could think about high schools of similar uh, backgrounds or similar si structure, size, what, what have you, that we can we can go at, you know, we can target and not just be too too specific and, and limiting so it's it's important to keep to keep that in mind and uh so let's talk about uh benefits of affinity-based scholarships uh what goals can they help an institution accomplish and then on the other hand you know maybe you can share an example of a scholarship fund that you established and how it benefited uh uh the uh the institution no, I think uh, they can truly be beneficial in so many ways across the, the campus community. Number one, from a recruiting and retention standpoint, um, I think there is <clears throat> there is um, the ability to to if if you're receiving an affinity scholarship, you know there there's some attachment to that, and which goes to my next right. point, there's a sense of belonging. And so now you know there are others that are on the campus who get received this this same uh, um, scholarship. Then now you you know there are others that you know may look or have that same identity. You come from the same place. You come maybe first generation. You know whatever it may be. That so now we, we there's some commonality and there's a sense of belonging that um, that the student can feel. And then, and it also a benefit. I think it just shows that your the institution is committed to being an inclusive uh, um, place, a community. And through inclusive and inclusive community, that means you're bringing all the voices to the table, which means you're having positive relationships. You're getting you know in this intellectual capital stirring. So now you're having. Uh, uh, the benefit of just hearing and and bringing in the perspectives of so many different people, places, things that could ultimately make your institution a better place, and that's the world, right? So, yeah. Uh, uh, and and that's that's 
kind of that's what we're really truly driving here and, and going for is just a place that will mimic what we see in, on, in everyday life. Absolutely. An inclusive environment is a rich learning environment. And these type of scholarships help fulfill that. Again, not just limited to race, ethnic background, but to every aspect of being. And so as you think about affinity-based scholarship, think about what, what kind of environment do you want to have on your campus and how can you leverage the power of philanthropy to help make that happen? And if you go from that vantage point, then you can create the environment that you, you can be proud of and that your kids and students can be proud of and they want to be there and they, they, they have a fulfilling life on campus. So uh, give us an example of one yeah. that, that you've worked on. I know you, you've worked on many of these things. <laughs> yes, I have. Well, okay, two good examples at, at Guilford now are one, um, we have uh, the Black alumni of Guilford College, which, you know, African-Americans have come together to establish um, this affinity group. And uh, as a result of that, have established their own scholarship where, you know, they, they, actually are able to use this as a recruiting opportunity, an opportunity to connect with students, engage with students. And, you know, they, there's a, I think that it's a well, a very mature program at this point because it was established well over a decade ago. And now they've built in professional development opportunities and things like that to be able to support um, African-American students on campus. Again, the sense of belonging, commitment, and uh, wanting to see students excel. But then now I've, on the other um, side of this, I have um, a group of physics majors mm -hmm. who just organically have come together and where they meet every on campus every other year, have their like their own little um, mini conference and alumni from other the, the physics department come together, faculty and staff. And they are engaging with students and, and providing, talking about opportunities and talking about funding for scholarships and things like that. So again, it's, you know, it doesn't always revolve what you said before many times around the race and the ethnic piece, but there's just this commonality of identity and people wanting to come together. And I think the beauty of all this is that um, going back to, you know, there's the general scholarship piece, but I think we can also be general and be a little specific at the same time. Exactly. If, if we can, you know, engage our Black alumni or our physics alumni, and they're creating opportunities to, to be able to help our admissions team recruit more physics majors, which every school would love to have. And you know, and as well as the Black alumni helping to recruit more African-American students to the institution. I mean, again, it, it's a, in my book, it's a win-win, but, you know, so those no, that's are two a, examples. Yeah, no, that's a, that, that's an excellent point, and uh, you're right. If we could get a hundred uh, physics uh, uh, students coming in and say, by golly, bring them in, because, right. uh, you know, the engineering schools need them. <laughs> right, Exactly. So what challenges, uh, you know, if any, uh, did you face as you were, you know, as you're working with different groups to set up these, uh, these scholarships? Because not everything works uh, according to plans. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes uh, you have groups that want to have uh, scholarship criteria that are too restrictive. 
or that get into the realm of uh, being in violation of the Education Act and mm-hmm. all the different things, and you know that 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 we 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 discussed that we are aware of as uh, as as far as federal law is concerned regarding scholarships or any of that. Uh, right. What 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 kind of challenges did 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 you face, and and do you see? You, you nailed many of them, and and most of my tougher conversations when when thinking about the affinity groups is the language that is used in particular with the scholarships. Um, you know, you, you, you know, you can't say it has to, it has to go to a specific student, you know, based on that identity, you know, where it has to be, it has to be broad and we have preferences, but we can't um, use that type of language where we're identifying a certain type of student. And, um, and so, I mean, really, truly, that's that's been getting uh, the leaders of the organizations to understand that, um, uh, especially when it, almost so on the when it's a, it could be a discriminatory situation when when you're dealing with race and, and ethnicity, things like that, or even religion, because we have some old old um, scholarships on the books where you had to be Christian in order to get the scholarship. See, so so it's it's uh, or you have to be Christian to get the scholarship. So, uh, you know, those are the type of conversations with the groups that I have to say, okay, we have to we have to revise the language in many cases, and I'm going back to many of the agreements and revising language so it it, it meets what is required from the act, and um, just getting individuals involved to understand that. You know, this is um, you know, this is in the best interest of the institution, students, and everyone. Yeah, I recall a few years ago when I was working at this one institution, I had a, a faculty member who wanted to establish a scholarship uh, in support of Filipino students who were citizens of the Philippines. And mm-hmm. so uh, I had a I had a development officer who worked with them. And I uh, did not understand the federal guidelines behind this. And so I said, yes, let's go ahead and do it and execute it. And I get the grief, gift agreement to approve. I said, absolutely not. Right. Cannot do that. And that donor got very upset and felt that the foundation is, you know, being in the discriminatory things like that. So I said, well, let's meet. I went there and I shared with them the uh you know the education act of 1964 and the amendments that were made in the early 90s i said so here's the problem federal law says you cannot do that mm-hmm. okay uh if you want to what what is what is the general purpose like what are you trying to accomplish and it says you know i just want somebody who cares deeply about uh filipino culture that wants to study our culture and wants to promote it and things like that so i said if i found a student who's not a Filipino, um, then that would be okay. So yes, that's all I've ever wanted. So then we're able to execute that scholarship agreement, uh, ensuring uh, that with with, with those uh, sort of federal uh, guidelines in mind and the donor Mm -hmm. was satisfied, but I have to go and sit down and explain to them that, uh, you know, uh, unless you're a Native American, Unless it's a HBCU, or unless you're saying Puerto Rico in the University of Puerto Rico system uh, that is Hispanic serving, 
you cannot say, I want this scholarship to go and support student who is African-American or student who is, uh, you know, even a woman, uh, because in the world, in the world that we live in, we have to recognize that there are people who identify as female. And so we have to be inclusive and cannot be exclusive. And so, you know, it's, it's always interesting having those conversations. And I think it's incumbent upon us to educate our donors as we're dealing with them, that it's not a no, but it's, Let's think broader about the impact that we're trying to have. That's it. Totally agree. There's a way to do it. We just need to figure out, like you said, what the mission and what we're trying to accomplish. So as you think about the future, uh, we talked earlier about uh, the recent Supreme Court ruling, which uh, folks are still interpreting and trying to figure out how to work with it. Uh, So there is that reality. and uh, but. There are many other realities that maybe we're not thinking about. Maybe you, you've been thinking about in your position about uh, what the future looks like. Are we going to see more and more uh, groups wanting to have affinity-based scholarships? Are we going to see uh, more people wanting to have these uh, sort of like general scholarship funds that can be directed at the discretion of the institution to fill a need, whether that will be to increase uh, the represented uh, students or low income or what have you. What are your thoughts? I think both and. Um, uh, yeah, I think I think we're, the institutions will, as we do, we get creative and we'll figure out, I mean, because, I mean, the the ruling left a lot of gray area, you know. Yes. So, so I think we, as academic institutions, we'll figure out how to work in that gray and and still be able to accomplish the goals that we're seeking. So I think on one hand, yeah, I can see affinity groups pouring more funds into their scholarships to assure that, okay, we want to have X number of um, students or amount of aid per student uh, in in order to to kind of leverage with the admissions office to say, hey, we have this money available for the, you know, this particular student and it needs to be, you know, utilized and not just sitting here in the coffers. So I, I think you, and, and then you mentioned another um, interesting piece and I, and I wonder, and I'll follow this to see, I'm following this to see how this will play out, but in your minority serving institutions, the HBCUs, you know, what, Will they see an uh, increase in their enrollments because of situations like this, or how will they how will they factor into uh, this 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 new ruling where um, many students may see it as being discriminatory and and may gravitate more to their those institutions, minority serving institutions. So. It's gonna be interesting, but um, uh, I just think I think many people, most most institutions, are just gonna lean in on it and not um, not let it be the guiding light, not let the ruling be the guiding light for the institution, and they'll just keep moving forward. Yeah, that's interesting because in a way we've sort of been dealing with this going back to the to the issue of criteria, right? You know, as it relates to to race and, uh, uh, you know, and consideration in scholarships. I mean, 
it's been law since forever. I mean, uh, you know, since I think the last, uh, don't quote me on this, but I think the last amendment to the Education Act was in 93 as it relates to, uh, you know, scholarship criteria and what you mm -hmm. can, you cannot do. And mm -hmm. we as institutions have figured out a way to work within those rules and ensure that we get the money where it's supposed to go. So I right. think uh, to me, the silver lining is we always figure out a way to make things happen right. uh, for, for our students because uh, our students mean a lot to us and we want to make sure that they are successful in their in their collegiate careers. And so we're going to do what we can to help with that. And then the other the other point that you make, and I'm and I'm very curious to see how this is going to manifest itself, is the whole issue of are we going to see more kids feeling feeling comfortable and parents feeling comfortable enrolling in HBCUs and seeing the growth in that. And I think that would be a very, very interesting development if that was to manifest itself. I mean, it's just right. going to be it's just going to be eye opening. And so the future is uh, the future is interesting. That's why uh, that's why we live the life. You know, it's uh, it, the, every day is a different day and an interesting day, as they say. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. So as we uh, as we get to the uh, to the tail end of this program here, uh, perhaps you can give our audience two quick takeaway takeaways uh, about um, uh, affinity based scholarships. Well, I, I would just say, again, I'll go back to my point. I think they are um, help to enrich the campus community and uh, to the point where they're not too restrictive. It creates an environment, of, it gives opportunity for students that um, may not have opportunity for a, a higher education, but then it allows these students to enter into or feel comfortable in a place where a student, where the institution is committed to an inclusive environment. And so as here at Guilford, uh, that is one of our values and of diversity and equality. And uh, I think that you'll find that in many institutions, but it's it's not just having that diversity plan sits on a shelf somewhere, it's, it's actually implementing that and to practice. And I think the affinity groups help to create that diverse uh, universe. And then I would say that um, just on the cautionary side that it, it really, the, 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 the groups really have to support the mission of the institution of the, and the mission of the institution. And so you have to be careful with this, this group springing up just arbitrarily just to say we're a group or to be able to attach themselves to the institution and um but but really they need to have a real purpose and really support what's going on in the academic environment well stated so daniel as we close out this episode i want to offer you an opportunity to give a shout out to one of your mentors uh tell us uh who is one of your mentors and how have they impacted you uh, as a professional? Oh man, that's hard. <laughs> can, I, <laughs> can I, can I, let me, uh, depending on who's listening to this, I might get hurt. So can I, let me give you uh, two quick ones. Yes. Well, I, I'd say my, my first one would be uh, David Horde. He was my, the first vice chancellor that I worked on. They actually hired me and got me into the business and of, of fundraising advancement and, 
Um, because of him and his guidance and leadership, I aspired to be in administration to this day. And then uh, my other one would be Mike Poston, who was my vice president, my previous vice president at Guilford College. And he's actually kind of picked up where David left off to help me to become who I am today. And actually, I'm sitting in the same seat that um, uh, he was in when he hired me. So uh, two That's great guys that continue to continue to check in with on a regular basis to get guidance and wisdom. That is excellent. We all need good mentors. We all need those people that are really invested in your 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 growth and your being, and that are always there to guide you, uh, you know, through your path as you as you're growing in your career. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Well, there you have it, folks. Well, Daniel, thank you for being here with me. I'm Kim Naoni. Thanks for tuning in to Mentorship Matters. See you soon.